Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, September 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The Federal Reserve is getting more hawkish, and companies are issuing fewer share buybacks. Plus, a look at how U.S. President Joe Biden is banking his legacy on economic policy. Which, to my mind, is probably simultaneously one of the most important issues in American politics and one of the most important issues facing the global economy. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Federal Reserve hit the pause button on interest rate rises yesterday. Not a huge surprise there. Fed Chair Jay Powell explained the reason for the pause at yesterday's press conference. Given how far we have come, we are in a position to proceed carefully as we assess the incoming data and the evolving outlook and risks. But Powell also suggested the Fed wasn't done yet, given that inflation is still too high. We're prepared to raise rates further, if appropriate, and we intend to hold policy at a restrictive level until we're confident that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our objective. The Fed's policymakers projected that the central bank will raise rates one more time before the end of the year. They also projected fewer interest rate cuts in 2024 and 2025. The S&P 500 fell about 1%, but it was the two-year U.S. Treasury yield that caught the most attention. It hit a 17-year high yesterday. Corporate buybacks in the U.S. are down way down, actually. Share buybacks slumped to their slowest pace since the early stages of the pandemic, and analysts say that the trend is likely to continue. Here to talk about both the risks and the rewards of this decline is the FT's Nicholas McGaw. He covers U.S. capital markets. Nick, what exactly are stock buybacks and just how important have they become in recent years? They can have a direct impact on share prices by adding like another steady source of demand into the market. And also then the indirect impact by making companies' profits look better. I was talking to one analyst about this the other day. He compared it to if you're selling a house and if there's two people bidding for it, you're going to get a higher price than if there's just one person interested in it, even if the house is the same thing. And so if there is a company in and about the market buying its stock occasionally, that's just a sort of kind of constant level of bidding that keeps the demand up and therefore helps to push the price higher. Okay, so what is causing the decline in corporate buybacks now? So there are a couple of factors that have all come together to put pressure on the overall number. One of them is industry-specific, which is that at the start of this year, banks were some of the biggest repurchases of their shares. And then in March, there was a little issue with a bunch of banks collapsing, which led to a big drop-off in buybacks in the second quarter. For the really big banks, that's not a sign that they were like, scared about their health and felt that they needed to hold on to cash, but more an expectation that they're going to have strict regulations. And then meanwhile, everyone else is dealing with higher interest rates and various macroeconomic issues. So there is increasing pressure to spend on things like sorting out supply chains, reaching net zero targets, and that all drives up capital expenditure costs. And at the same time, it's more expensive to fund any of that through borrowing than it used to be. And so people have to be a lot more thoughtful about what they're spending on. But they aren't missed by everyone, right? Like a lot of people don't like share buybacks. 
a lot of critics see them as a kind of financial engineering that's more about just manipulating the numbers in your quarterly reports to reward executives who get paid based on earnings per share or share price performance targets. They say it'd be better to spend that money on real investments or improving pay for junior employees. And then from an investor perspective, some people much prefer to get dividends because they're seen as more reliable. So given that they're unpopular and there's been this reduction of share buybacks, are they a thing of the past? And you know, if they are, is that even a problem? So buybacks are not going to disappear entirely, but the trend does look like it's going to be going downwards for a while. Like Interest rates aren't going to be going back to zero anytime soon. And some of those spending pressures like needing to sort out supply chains are also kind of long-term trends. And so that reduction will be an incremental factor like weighing on stock prices going forwards. And it might also kind of widen the difference between the haves and the have-nots in the market. Apple on its own spent $20 billion on buybacks in the second quarter. They're so huge and they're generating so much cash, they don't really need to worry that much about borrowing costs. So they have more freedom to keep up with repurchases, whereas some smaller companies will be feeling much more pressure. Nicholas Magaw covers U.S. capital markets for the FT. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. Lately, the Biden administration has been leaning into one term and leaning into it a lot. Bidenomics. Bidenomics. Bidenomics, right? That's Bidenomics. Biden's economic policies, like passing subsidies for green energy and infrastructure, have become a huge focal point of his presidency. And the FT's Gideon Rockman is launching a series in his Rockman Review podcast looking at Bidenomics. Gideon joins me now to talk about it. Hey, Gideon. Hi. So tell us a little bit about this series. So we're going to run three podcasts on Bidenomics, which to my mind is probably simultaneously one of the most important issues in American politics and one of the most important issues facing the global economy. In American politics, it's pretty clear that Biden is going to run on his economic record. He's churning out ads about it, but that most Americans currently are pretty skeptical. The opinion polls don't show that they think the economy is going well. The other interesting aspect of it is that it's a really ambitious turn in American policy back, if you like, almost 50 years to the idea of industrial policy, that the state can intervene, should intervene, to foster important industries, in this case, clean energy and so on. And that has been greeted with a lot of nervousness around the world. Is this America going protectionist? Is it destroying the world trade system and so on? So Gideon, who are you talking to for this series? So the first guest is a man called Brian Deese, who was head of the National Economic Council in the Biden White House. So essentially conceptualized and helped to implement the package of measures which have become known as Bidenomics. That's the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, a lot of the infrastructure spending. And I often find that interviewing people just after they've left government is a great time to talk to them because they can talk with a bit more frankness, but they've got all the authority and knowledge that comes from having just done all this stuff. So Brian, I think, gives a a very good interview. And the second is with Ngozi Okonjo-Wela, who is the head of the World Trade Organization. And she's bang in the middle of the kind of international argument about Bidenomics. It's the WTO, which is really the guardian of the world trading system. And I thought she was surprisingly outspoken when I spoke to her. So what's your broad takeaway about Bidenomics? Gideon? Well, I think it's a really interesting moment in the debate about American economic policy and global economics. It's really, I think, the moment when 
a U.S. administration turns the page on Reaganomics and that free market neoliberal era and says we've got to try something different, trickle-down hasn't worked. But also I think that politically it's incredibly interesting because my concern for them would be even if it works, it may not work fast enough for the 2024 election. Will ordinary Americans feel the impact soon enough to be convinced to vote for Biden? Gideon Rockman is the FT's chief foreign affairs commentator. He hosts the Rockman Review podcast. We'll have a link to the series on Bidenomics in our show notes. Thanks so much, Gideon. Thanks. Before we go, the Bank of England meets today, and it's not clear what the central bank is going to do with interest rates, especially given that a report yesterday showed inflation rose less than expected in August. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.